We're looking at the indivisible law. Today is uh, February 28th, 2010. Let's pray before we begin our study. May it be your will, Hashem our God, that a mishap not come about through us, and may we not stumble in a matter of law and cause our colleagues to rejoice over us. And may we not say regarding something which is Tameh that it is Tahor, and not regarding something which is Tahor that it is Tameh. And may our colleagues not stumble in a matter of law, and we rejoice over them. For Hashem grants wisdom. From His mouth come knowledge and understanding of God. Unveil our eyes, that we may perceive wonders from your Torah. I'm reading from Psalm 19, verse 8 through 11. Psalms 19, verses 8 through 11. The Torah of Hashem is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of Hashem is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of Hashem are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of Hashem is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of Hashem is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of Hashem are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them your servant is warned, and in keeping them there is great reward. Again, that's Psalms 19, 8-11. You know, it seems the Torah observant follower of Messiah is constantly having to answer friends and families about uh, their crazy lifestyle, about a Torah lifestyle, and the dangers that uh, such people see uh, of us going back, as they say, under the law. You know, there's well-meaning friends also who, who when they can't argue about uh, Yeshua's own words in Matthew 5, 17-19, where he tells us that he has not come to abolish the law of the prophets, the Torah of the prophets, but to establish them, to fulfill them. They often uh, get frustrated and go to pastors or counselors to try and get them to uh, um, uh, convince us. Uh, and they do use uh, theological debate in order to convince us. And to convince us, of course, that our love for the Torah is not uh, beneficial, but that it's a bondage and it's something that we need to be freed from. Even in some Messianic circles, if someone's a Gentile, their Torah observance is seen as uh, problematic, maybe even in some extreme cases seen as anti-Semitic. Our message of faithfulness to all the words of Hashem as a method or as a lifestyle of a follower of Messiah Yeshua as a part of our discipleship is treated as dangerous and a threat to many. However, for those of us who have learned the peace that comes from seeing the scriptures as a unified and unifying whole, we ask the question, will it always be like this? Will we always have this confrontation from our brothers, from family, from friends? And the answer, we are a part of the last day's movement. We're the leading edge. Where Hashem is bringing all things into subjection to Himself. He will restore all things. And He is starting with each one of us individually. One of the principal arguments that our detractors will use against us, especially uh, those that come from a traditional classical Christian perspective, but also for some within the Messianic community, is they teach a division of the law. A division, a dividing of the commandments of God. But is Hashem's righteous standard divisible? Let's look at what Scripture says in that. But first, let's look a little bit about what we talk about when we talk about division. Let's look at Christian division to start with. In order to justify a division of the law, and the reason why they do a dividing of the law, traditional Christianity uh, is, is uh, intent upon making sure that certain commandments are not uh, 
obligatory or not required for believers. And so they go to great expense uh, to find ways. And there are various ways that traditional Christianity has sought to annul these, both uh, through replacement theology and also through dispensationalism. Uh, and you examine all of the commandments, of course, that are annulled or that are no longer in effect, no matter how you describe it, no, how, no matter how uh, it's described by various uh, groups or um, uh, uh, ministries in cr- traditional Christianity, uh, it, is, it becomes very clear when the category list is made that the commandments that they don't want believers to live under, to live by, are the ones that they see as being Jewish commandments. Of course, we recognize that the commandments of God are given in grace to the Jewish people, but they are also given to all nations, all those who would attach themselves to the God of Israel, or rather be attached and joined to the God of Israel, uh, even though they're not Jewish. So the commandments are not Jewish. They're simply a revelation of the righteousness of God, a self-revelation. We'll get to that in a moment. But the way that uh, uh, some traditional Christians developed a theory for the division of the commandments is that they uh, is is to uh, be able to separate them either by category or by dispensation um, because honestly you can't say with a straight face it's a sin to lie but it's not a sin to eat pig unless we can come up with some theological reason because both of those commandments are found in the same law the, the method that, that's used most often to divide the Torah commandments is to put them into categories. Categories uh, such as, not limited to, but such as moral law or moral commandments, ritual commandments, and civil commandments. And when you look at these, it's real easy to see how the moral commandments should be retained today in the life of the believer. Moral commandments we would all agree with would be things like uh, don't lie, don't steal, uh, don't com- co- uh, commit murder, do not uh, commit adultery. Uh, those we see embedded within our own laws and society. Uh, so all people would say, well, these are universal laws. These are the moral code. These are not things that God has commanded uh, as separate or distinct. They're not part of the Torah. Of course, we know they are part of the Torah, but let's let's look deeper into the ways that they do this. During the times, uh, most, most of the, those in a traditional Christian perspective would say that the ritual laws, uh, for instance, the laws regarding the Sabbath or regarding of what is food and what isn't food, and the civil laws such as death penalty for adultery, uh, stoning of rebellious children, uh, that those are no longer in effect. Of course, during the days of the Puritans, they included the civil commandments as well. Um, whereas modern Christians obviously have a, have, have a problem with some of those um, and are things that often are brought up in discussions uh, with, with us are things like, well, when are you going to start stoning people if you keep the commandments? Um, in, in modern times also, uh, Christianity, traditional Christianity, has, has borrowed some, uh, some thinking from some of the early church fathers. And they developed the kind of unity of the commandments, all the while maintaining still some were in effect and some were not. Let me explain how that works. Uh, they, they would say, unless you keep the law perfectly, you're guilty of all of it. Well, we know Scripture actually does say things along those lines. Uh, but they continue, the purpose of the law is to point to man's inability to keep the law and thus show man's need for a supernatural work and a Savior. So now that the law's purpose is revealed and Jesus has satisfied its requirements for us, continuing to live by it only places one under a curse. But of course, the moral and universal law is still in effect because it was only part of the lesson the Jews needed to learn. Of course, we would, we would immediately uh, go to the scriptures to, to uh, renounce that, even though scriptures are used to show us that indeed the, the law does reveal man's sin, but in fact it is, it is very difficult to uh, come to the conclusion that, uh, from the scriptures that um, keeping commandments themselves could be a sin, which is what really, in essence, they're saying. Uh, They don't want us under the law, and they believe that to be, quote, under the law is, in fact, to be under a curse or a sin. Uh, It's ironic that obedience to the commandments of the Almighty, as recorded in his word, 
could ever be seen as sin. And yet that's, what's, uh, that's the effect of what these people are doing. Uh, but you know, there's also a messianic division. Uh, certainly not all messianics, but there are, uh, if we've discussed this in the past, there are some congregations that teach the Torah's been done away with. Well, yes, they do a nod and they, and they, and they mention the commandments and they give a little, uh, they give a little cultural, uh, place for the commandments. Uh, for instance, uh, they don't, sh- they don't serve, um, uh, pork sausages at uh, at Oneg on Shabbat, uh, they don't have shrimp at Shabbat. Uh, at Shabbat's Oneg, uh, at the same time, are not compelled in any way to uh, keep kosher in their homes. Uh, so obviously, uh, there's a group of messianics who say the law has been done away with. To them, the law is a method by which we are able to evangelize. I have a cultural expression to evangelize Jewish people. The irony is, of course, many of the times the people that are trying to evangelize don't keep any of the commandments themselves. Uh, so uh, we wonder why it's, uh, why it's being used or if it's some trick or ploy. In modern times, uh, uh, we see this uh, in Messianic congregations, uh, a return uh, to, the, to, uh, to the Torah. Uh, but, a tor- but a return to the Torah for only for Jewish people. Some congregations, they believe that uh, whether it's by birth or by ritual conversion, and only then may, do the commandments apply. Gentiles are not under uh, the obligation, as they would call, to the Torah. But our conviction, as, uh, as members of Messianic Judaism, our conviction is this. The Torah is the eternal word of Hashem. It is His self-revelation. His own righteous standard is contained within the commandments. Yeshua, the Messiah, not only lived in perfect faithfulness to the commandments, the scriptures record he was blameless in his keeping. He was the perfect lamb. But he also commands his disciples, as we see in in the Gospels, to do so as well. And he gave his disciples the commandments as a love test. If you love me, he says in John 14, 15, you will keep my commandments. We see that obedience to all that Hashem has spoken is the life of a disciple of the Messiah. It is a mark of the disciple of Messiah. Not to cast off His commandments. Not to be able to be blamed or that a ill repute, an accusation can be brought against our Master because of our deeds. Our obedience is not a burden of the law. It is an expression of our love for Him, an expression of our love for one another. How can I know if I love the Lord my God with all my heart, with all my soul, or with all my resources? It is only by my willingness to obey every word that He has spoken. How can I know that I love my brother as I love myself? It is only by the test of the Torah which tells us what love for a brother looks like. A lot of our confusion and a lot of our argument and discussion with our Christian brothers and with specifically pastors or counselors that want to debate us on the issue of keeping the Torah is the definition of sin. What is sin? You see, when they begin to categorize the commandments uh, in the law and make divisions, retaining some and abolishing others, they're doing something the scriptures do not permit. The scriptures don't do the division. Within the Torah, there's no moral, ritual, or civil categories. You may do well uh, reading and feeling good about what you read in a commentary from reformed theology with regarding the moral, civil, and ritual law, but you'll find nothing in Scripture along those lines. Just take the Ten Commandments, for example, or what are called the Ten Commandments. Is breaking the Sabbath a moral or ritual problem? If I break the Sabbath, have I broken a moral law or a ritual law? Well, clearly, uh, those who take this perspective will say, what's a ritual law? Really, how do I know by reading in the scriptures about the Sabbath? 
What about stealing? Is that a civil law? Or is that a moral law? You know, knowing the difference, it would seem to be important when we look at how it is that as believers we should be involved in our local, state, and uh, national governments. Is adultery civil or is it moral? Well, if it's moral, we can say that it's an abomination. Well, if it's moral, are we going to follow through on what the moral penalty for adultery is? If it's civil, are we going to have laws in our countries that reflect the civil nature of the prohibition against adultery? begin to see the problem. When you start picking and choosing and trying to categorize, it may not be as easy as one thinks. But most importantly, the Torah does not categorize the commandments of God into moral, civil, and ritual. The Torah does use different words that might appear to be categories such as statutes, commandments, precepts, judgments. Those are chukot, mitzvot, pikudim, and mishpatim. But you'll never find these commandments fitting into the categories of moral, ritual, and civil division. They're all intermixed. It's a theological method to annul commandments. Instead, just like Psalm 119 shows, these words are used to show Hashem's purpose for His righteous standard in our lives. It is not simply to set boundaries to keep us from uh, hurting one another, although that is a wonderful byproduct. It is because he wants us to see what his righteous standard is and to use it to benefit us, to give us a revelation of who he is and to receive blessings because of it. Traditional Christianity uses the moral versus ritual method to show an abolishment for commandments. Some messianic circles also use this method and for the same reason. They use it to show how lying is still a sin, but eating shrimp is a matter of being a good testimony. That's wrong. Modern Christianity uses the all-or-nothing approach to the commandments. But not because they think the law is unified. They don't. They want to pick and choose. They want to have lying is still sin. But they don't want to have uh, breaking the Sabbath as a sin. Instead of, instead of showing how to keep the commandments as a curse, because if you fail in one, you fail in all, they should be showing how keeping the commandments is a blessing. And any obedience is a benefit to the man, woman, or child who acts obediently. Because it's a revelation of God in their life. It can take one who is an unbeliever, and show them the righteousness of God. Not just their need for a Savior, which is important, but even more so, how He, through the Holy Spirit's work, can change the way that they walk. First John. Go with me real quickly to First John 2, verse 3-6. through 6. First John is a very difficult book for people who have a low regard for the commandments of God. I feel for you. 1 John 2, 3-6 through six. Now by this we know that we know Him. If we keep His commandments. He who says, I know Him, and does not keep His commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But whoever keeps His word, truly the love of God is perfected in Him. By this we know that we are in Him. He who says he abides in him ought himself to also to walk just as he walked. Can we all agree that Yeshua kept the Torah perfectly? 1 John 2, 6 says that we ought to walk just as he walked. Why is any obedience treated as if it were disobedience? Why is some worse than none? 
in some people's mind. It is as if you had a child and you told them, I have these ten things I want you to do today. These are your responsibility. I'm your parent. I love you. And I know these will benefit you. But I also know that I want you to love me. You can show me that you love me by giving me the decency, the honor and respect of obeying me. Here are these ten things. Let's meet this evening and see how you do. At the end of the day, can you imagine the parent saying, you know, because you only kept eight of these things faithfully and two of them fell by the wayside, you were not able to accomplish them. This is so displeasing to me. Shame on you for keeping eight. Or can any of us imagine that parent at the end of the day saying, listen, I gave you a test. I wanted you to see that you couldn't keep all these things I asked you to do. So instead, I would have far preferred you kept none of them. That's foolish. Such thinking defies logic, and yet that's what we're being told. No, brother. We want to... The, the, the Almighty loves obedience. He loves it because it reflects His work in our lives. He loves it because it reflects His standard. He loves it because that is the light that we emanate for those around us. So that they can ask us, what is the hope that lies within you? Go to uh, 1 John 2, 29, and uh, we'll go through uh, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 7. If you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. Behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him, beloved. Now we are children of God. It is not yet revealed, been revealed, what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. And everyone has this hope in him. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Whoever commits sin also commits lawlessness. And sin is lawlessness. And you know that he was, ma he was manifested to take away our sins. And in him there is no sin. Whoever abides in him does not sin. Whoever sins has neither seen him nor known him. Little children, let no one deceive you. He who practices righteousness is righteous. Just as he is righteous. You see, keep his commandments that we saw in, in 1 John 2. And in 1 John uh, uh, 2.29 through 3.7, practices righteousness. Or whoever commits sin. These are in the present tense. Commits lawlessness is, is uh, an anomia. Against the law. It's in present tense. It means it keeps on happening. It, it's a persistent way of living. Keeps his commandments in the present tense. A persistent way of living. The use of the present tense shows that believers are not sinless, but that their lives are a pattern of righteous living. Their lives are to be a pattern of righteous living. When we sin, we repent. But here I want you to see, and I want you to pay close attention. What is... What is... Sin, God's definition of sin, not found in the Old Testament, found right here in the New Testament. What's God's definition of sin? He says, sin is lawlessness, verse 6. Sin is acting against the commandments of Hashem, period. That is what sin is. When we start categorizing, dividing, annulling the commandments of God, we are not promoting righteousness. We are promoting lawlessness. And that is sin. The Torah itself contains commandments that deal with disobedience. Is perfect obedience required? Of course it is. God, God requires perfect obedience. But he also knows our frame. 
and he, and he knows this uh, sinful body that we have earned because of our sin in the garden. Is perfect obedience expected in this temporal world? Of course not. There are offerings for sin within the Torah. Why did the Almighty give provision for covering, for atonement within the Torah? If he, if he expected perfect obedience, he did not. We have ample evidence of this uh, in the scriptures. Go to Luke 1, verses 5 through 6. This is a description of Zechariah, the righteous Zechariah, and his wife Elizabeth. There was in the, in the days of Herod, the king of Judea, a certain priest named Zechariah, in the division of Abiah, his wife was of the daughters of Aharon, and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking in all the commandments and ordinances of the Lord, blameless. I want you to make note of this verse, and the next time someone challenges you that any obedience, because you can't keep all of the commandments Perfectly, any obedience places you under a curse. I want you to read this verse to them and ask them how Zechariah and Elizabeth were blameless before the Lord. Beloved, they were not sinless, but they lived a life of obedience. Look at Paul himself in Philippians 3 at the end of uh, verse 6. He said, concerning the righteous which is in the law, blameless. Paul said that concerning the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. Did that mean that Paul never sinned? Of course not. What it meant was, Paul never stood up and said, I won't do that, no matter what God says. Or, I won't do that, that doesn't apply to me any longer. Paul read the commandments, knew the commandments, and kept them. As simple as that. The argument that the Torah was given simply to show man's need for salvation is absurd. First, the Torah was never given to perfect us. There's a misunderstanding on people's part. If they think the Torah was given to perfect us, of course not. It was given to show us what perfection looks like. It provides no energy for obedience. That's in the New Covenant. And in that, the Torah is written on our hearts, not a change or a reversal of what God's requirements are, but an enablement in order to keep it perfectly. Until then, we honor Him by obeying Him. Only the Holy Spirit can bring perfect obedience, as we see in His perfect enablement of the New Covenant, which we have only a taste of today. Someday, we will live in that perfection. Examine the commandments that such a philosophy does away with. Eating clean, keeping the Sabbath. Those are the easy commandments, beloved. If such a logic works out, why are the easy commandments done away with? In order to teach us that we need a Savior and that we can't keep them. Have you ever been asked the question... Have you ever lied? Ever once? Well, if you've lied once, you're guilty of lying. And if you're guilty of lying, you're guilty of all the commandments. That's true. How about, have you ever hated anyone? Well, if you've ever hated one, anyone, especially a brother, you have disobeyed all the commandments. Well, those are the hard commandments, brethren. Those are the hard commandments. Yet those are still in effect, aren't they? If the Torah was given us simply to convince us we couldn't keep it, then the wrong commandments are still in effect. The easy ones like, don't eat this, those are, the, those are the ones that some say aren't in effect. And of course, if we were to boil the Torah down all into one single commandment, which is, by the way, two commandments, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your resources, and the second like unto it, as Yeshua says in Matthew chapter 22, and your neighbor as yourself, those contain all the commandments within them. 
But if we were to try to say, let's just pick one of all the commandments, not summarize, let's just keep one. And if we can keep that, let's say that's the same thing as keeping them all. Well, we did that, and it was in the garden. We got one commandment, don't eat from this tree. We didn't do too well, did we? You'd think that would be enough to convince us that we need a Savior. That we need help. Beloved, it did. All throughout the Tanakh, there are righteous men and women who know full well our frailty and are bent towards sin. And yet they still lived faithfully according to the commandments. Hebrews chapter 11 details them. Beloved, it is a cruel and unusual trick by a cruel and fictitious mythical God that says the commandments were given to prove that we couldn't live them out. That's absurd. From the time that Moses came down the mountain until the dispensation that our dispensationalist friends foist upon us of Yeshua for 1,500 years, a cruel test simply to prove that we can't keep the commandments. No, beloved, it is not that way at all. The Torah was not given to prove that we cannot keep it. The Torah is the self-revelation of a holy and righteous God. We don't keep them. We don't keep the commandments in order to achieve righteousness. We don't keep the commandments in order to earn God's favor. We obey simply as our love response to what he's done for us. We're the people of God. He's the king. We're his subjects. We humbly submit to him. That's all. When we disobey him, we repent. But our lives are not full of anomia, lawlessness, a rejecting of his commandments. Beloved, the commandment, the Torah, is not divisible. It's indivisible. It's a single unit. We're not free to categorize and divide it so as not to live by some of the commandments within it. Throughout the scriptures, the righteous standard of Hashem is called the commandment, Hamitzvah. It's singular. Go to Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 1. The entire commandment that I command you today, you shall observe to perform, so that you may live and increase and come and possess the land that Hashem swore to your forefathers. The entire commandment. Some versions there say the uh, all the commandments. Some versions say all the commandments. Or every commandment. But that's really not faithful to the Hebrew. The Hebrew says, kal ahamitzvah. That is, all the commandments. It's an odd way to say it. It's an odd way to have it phrased. Uh, it's an odd way to, in the sentence, use plurals, and yet the commandment is singular. Not just singular, but with the definite article, ha, the. Kal ha-mitzvah. All the commandment. Rashi notes that the word is very, wording is very important. The plural grammar of the verse leads some translators to misunderstand the point. Here's the point. All the commandments are a single unit. The commandment. Just so that you know, argument from silence doesn't apply. If the commandment, an individual is not afforded the right to determine if a commandment applies to them personally. If it's all the commandment. The opposite's true. All apply to you, all the commandments therein apply to you unless the commandment explicitly applies only to others. An example of that is women, priests, etc. If it says women, such and such, then you are not, if you are not a woman, then of course you, it doesn't apply to you in practice, although it may apply to you if, if the woman involved is your wife, a daughter, etc. You may be providing for their obedience to the commandment. But as far as it applying directly to you, no, if you're not a woman, it's not for you to do. Again, a Levite or a priest, 
Some of those commandments are directly given to priests. They are in effect. They are valid. But if you're not a priest in the officiating of a duty of a priest, then maybe that commandment doesn't apply to you in practice right now. Do you support that commandment? God willing, someday in a future temple, maybe you'll have the opportunity to support that commandment in watching the priests perform their duty, both in service to God and also in, in joining of Israel to God. But is that commandment applied to you directly? Of course not. But the, the argument of silence doesn't apply. It's invalid. The fact that it's the commandment, a single unit, means that unless it explicitly excludes an individual, it applies to all within the covenant community. Go to Joshua 22, verse 5. Joshua 22, 5 says, But take careful to heed to the commandment, Hamitzvah, and the Torah which Moses, the servant of Hashem, commanded you, to love Hashem your God, to walk in His ways, to keep His commandments, to hold fast to Him, to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. Do you want a definition of Hamitzvah? It's all of the commandments of God. It is to love Him. It's to walk in His ways. It's to keep His commandments. It's to hold fast to Him. It's to serve Him with all your heart and with all your soul. It's a package deal. You can't pick and choose. You can't say, I'll love Him, but, I won't, but I'll eat what I'd like. I'll love Him. I won't steal. But keeping the Sabbath, that doesn't apply to me. You don't have that right. By the way, the Torah of Moses... Here it says, the Torah which Moses, the servant of Hashem, commanded you. The Torah of Moses is used by some in a pejorative sense. It's used by some who want to annul the commandments of Hashem. To lower it in its stature. To take these group of commandments that were given by Moses and to minimize them as being subservient or as being uh, less than the commandments for instance, to love God. I will remind you that to love the Lord your God is contained within the Torah of Moses. Moses was a faithful, faithful servant. But the Torah is not, Torah is not Moses' work. It is the Torah of Hashem. It is His words. Moses, as his faithful servant, was unique among prophets. He heard the voice of Hashem and saw His form. How dare some speak against Moses in this way? They need to read Numbers 12, 6 through 8. The Torah of Moses is God's eternal, binding word. Go to 1 Timothy, verse 6 through 14. Here it is, right in the New Testament. <laughs> Paul's instruction to Timothy in 1 Timothy. That you keep the commandment, singular, without spot, blameless, until Messiah Yeshua, our Lord, appearing. The commandment, without spot, blameless. Exactly what commandment could this possibly be speaking of, if it's not the Torah? Since we know throughout the scriptures, that the Torah is called the commandment. Mark 7 9, Yeshua uses this contrast of the commandment to man-made traditions. He says in Mark 7, verse 9, He said to them, All too well you reject the commandment, again, singular, of God, that you may keep your tradition. What tradition? Why are antinomians, those who are against the law, not merely content to let others keep the commandments? Because it negates their tradition. They must put down and denigrate the Torah for their own theology to survive. For some pastors and congregational leaders, sadly, it's all about control. Go to Proverbs 13, verse 13. He who despises the word will be destroyed. But he who fears the commandment, hamitzvah, singular, will be rewarded. Do you believe that there's a reward for obedience? Is the reward salvation? That's not what we're speaking of. Is the reward blessing? If I keep the commandment, if I keep commandments, is there a blessing? To say there isn't. To say that someone who keeps the commandments is under curse 
is not consistent with God's word. In fact, it's saying the opposite of what God's word said. Here it says, he who fears the commandment will be rewarded. Go to Matthew five, nineteen. What did Yeshua said? Whoever therefore breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches men so shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever does and teaches them, he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Yeshua is placing value upon doing and teaching the commandments. Which commandments? Which ones? Only a fool would ask that question. I want to go on to uh, another type of dividing or division of the Torah. And that's even within Messianic Judaism that seeks to divide between Jew and Gentile saying, well, some commandments are for, some Jew, for Jews and some commandments are for Gentiles. All of the commandments are for Jews, but some, specifically the moral ones, and then using Acts 15 saying, plus these other four prohibitions listed in Acts 15, those are the ones that are, a Gentile is obligated to, but none others. You may keep them if you'd like, but there's no obligation. I would say that we need to go and read back, look back in Scripture. Remember, Ger and Gerim, that is, sojourner or sojourners that is Gentiles who are not native born Israel and yet still part of the covenant people of Israel as it's recorded in the Torah they're Gentiles pure and simple they are Gentiles those who separate between Jew and Gentile and say that the commandments apply differently to them are not treating the Torah as indivisible they're ignoring the Torah's own instructions and you can try as hard as you like to try and force proselyte into those verses or convert to Judaism, but that can't fit. Ritual conversion to Judaism didn't even exist until the second century before the Common Era. And it, the Torah speaks nothing about it. Let's read some of these and see precisely about Jew and Gentile and whether they share the same Torah. Exodus 12, 48-49 And when a ger dwells with you and wants to keep the Passover to Hashem, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as a native of the land, for no uncircumcised person shall eat it. One Torah shall be for the native-born and for the ger who dwells among you. Exodus 20, 8 through ten. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Hashem to God, your God. In it you shall do no work, you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, nor your gear who is within your gates. Beloved, those who would separate between Jew and Gentile in the commandments of God are treating the Gentile in their congregation as worse than a slave, as it's recorded in Exodus 20. How about Exodus 22, verses 21 through 23? You shall neither mistreat a ger nor oppress him, for you were gerim, that is, sojourners in the land of Egypt. Let me pause for a moment. Imagine if we're putting the word proselyte in here and how foolish it sounds. <laughs> you shall not mistreat a proselyte nor oppress him, for you are proselytes in the land of Egypt. Of course not. That's foolish. Let's go back and read it the way that it's written. You shall, not, you shall neither mistreat a gear, a sojourner, nor oppress him, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall not afflict a widow or a fatherless child. If you afflict him, them in any way, and they cry out at all to me, I will surely hear their cry. Exodus 23, 9-12 and, and also you shall not oppress a ger, for you know the heart of a ger, because you were gerim in the land of Egypt. Six years you should sow your land and gather in its produce, but the seventh year you shall let it rest and lie fallow, that the poor of your people may eat, and what they leave the beasts of the field may eat. In like manner, you shall do with your 
vineyard and your olive grove. Six days shall you do your work, and on the seventh day you shall rest, that your ox and your donkey may rest, the son of your female servant, and the gare may be refreshed. Leviticus 16, 29-31 This shall be a statute forever for you. In the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict your souls and do no work at all, whether a native of your own country or a gare who dwells among you. For on that day the priest shall make atonement for you to cleanse you, that you may be clean from all your sins before Hashem. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest for you, and you shall afflict your souls. It is a statute forever. Leviticus 17, 8-10 Also you shall say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel, or of the Gerim, who dwell among you, who offers a burnt offering or sacrifice, and does not bring it to the door of the tabernacle of meeting to offer it to Hashem, that man shall be cut off from among his people. And whatever man of the house of Israel, or of the Gerim, who dwell among you, who eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood, and will cut him off from among his people. Leviticus 17, 8-10 Let's pause for a minute in the middle of all these scriptures, and let's examine what we've seen so far. The Gerim were to eat the Passover. They were to be circumcised. They were to keep the Sabbath. They were to be treated as a native born. They were to celebrate and fast for Yom Kippur. If they didn't keep the laws of the sacrifice, they were to be cut off from the people. Beloved, does this sound like a suggestion or an invitation to Ger, to Gerim? Or does this sound like a responsibility? This is a responsibility both for the native born and for the Ger, that both should be obedient. Let's continue though. And every verse, uh, uh, Leviticus 17, verse 15 through 16, and every person who eats what died naturally or was torn by beasts, whether he is a native of your own country or a gear, he shall both wash his clothes and bathe in water and be unclean until evening. Then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his body, then he shall bear his guilt. There it is. What you eat matters. Gear and native born share the same responsibility. It's not a suggestion. It's an obligation. Leviticus 18, 26, and then verses 29 through 30. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my judgments and shall not commit any of these abominations, either any of your own nation or any gear who dwells among you. For whoever commits any of these abominations, the person who commits them shall be cut off from among the people. Therefore you shall keep my ordinance, so that you do not commit any of these abominable customs which were committed before you, and that you do not defile yourselves by them. I am Hashem your God. Same responsibility for both native-born and gear. Leviticus 19, 33-34 And if a gear dwells with you in your land, you shall not mistreat him. A gear who dwells among you shall, you shall, shall be to you as one born among you, and you shall love him as yourself, for you yourselves were gerim in the land of Egypt. I am Hashem your God. Leviticus 22, 18-19 Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the children of Israel say, and say to them, Whatever man of the house of Israel or of the Gerim in Israel who offers a sacrifice for any of his vows or for any of his free offering, free will offerings which they offer to Hashem as a burnt offering, you shall offer of your own free will, with, will a male without blemish from the cattle, from the sheep, or from the goats. There is the laws of the Sacrifices apply to the Gerim. Leviticus 24, verse 16. And whoever blasphemes the name of Hashem shall surely be put to death. All the congregation shall certainly stone him, the Ger, as well as him who is born in the land. When he blasphemes the name of Hashem, he shall be put to death. Question. Is that moral, ethical, civil, ritual? What is that? Answer. It's the instructions of the Almighty King of the Universe. 
it applies to native-born Israel as it does to Gentiles joined to them. Leviticus 25, verse 22. Chapter 20, verse 22. You shall have the same Torah for the gear and for one of your own country. For I am Hashem your God. The same? Does that sound divisible to you? Does that sound like more than one? Does that sound like different rules for different folks? Leviticus 20. Excuse me. This is uh, Numbers 9, verse 14. And if a gear dwells among you and would keep Hashem's Passover, he must do so according to the rite of the Passover and according to its ceremony. You shall have one ordinance, both for the gear and the native of the land. Numbers 15, 13 through 16. All who are native-born shall do these things in this manner, in presenting an offering made by fire, a sweet aroma to Hashem. And if a gear dwells with you, or whoever is among you throughout your generations, and would present an offering made through by fire, a sweet aroma to Hashem, just as you do, so shall he do. One ordinance shall be for you of the assembly, and for the gear who dwells with you, an ordinance forever, Throughout your generations, as you are, so shall the gear be before Hashem. One Torah and one custom shall be for you and for the gear who dwells with you. Is that two standards or one? Numbers 15, 25 through 30. So the priest shall make atonement for the whole congregation of the children of Israel. Be careful, listen the whole congregation of the children of Israel, and it shall be forgiven them, for it was unintentional. They shall bring their offering, an offering made by fire to Hashem, and their sin offering before Hashem. For the unintended sin, it shall be a forgiving the whole congregation of the children of Israel and the gear who dwells among them, because all the people did it unintentionally. And if a person sins unintentionally, then he shall bring a female goat in its first year as a sin offering, so the priest shall make an atonement for the person who sins unintentionally. When the sin unintentionally before Hashem, to make atonement for him, and it shall be forgiven him. You shall have one Torah for him who sins unintentionally, for him who is native-born among the children of Israel, and for the gear who dwells among them. But the person who does something presumptuously, whether he is native born or gear, that person, that, that one brings reproach on Hashem, and he, he shall be cut off from among his people. Beloved, the gear, the gerim, are part of the whole congregation of the children of Israel because it is made of us native born and those who are not native born. So explain to me why the Soreg why the fence, the wall, existed in the second temple that kept out the gear, where they could not approach to God, and they could not offer as it's prescribed in Numbers 15. Numbers 19, 10 through 12. And the gear who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes. Pause for a moment. Let me just read that again. The one who gathers, not the gear, the one who gathers the ashes of the heifer shall wash his clothes and be unclean until evening. It shall be a statute forever to the children of Israel and to the gear who dwells among them. The gear gathering the ashes of the heifer? He who touches the dead body of anyone shall be unclean seven days. He shall purify himself with water in the third day. On the seventh day he shall, he, then he will be clean. But if he does not purify himself on the third day and on the seventh day he will not be clean. One law, one law for native born and for gear. Unclean? No wonder Peter needed to hear it from Hashem's mouth himself. Don't say any man is unclean or common. He's the one. God's the one that defines who is unclean. And it's not by your ethnic background to determine it. It's because of what you've done or what you've touched. Deuteronomy 1, 16-17 Then I commanded your judges at that time, saying, Hear the cases between your brethren, and judge righteously between a man and his brother, or the gear who is with him. You shall not show partiality in judgment. You shall hear the small as well as the great. You shall not be afraid of in any man's presence, for the judgment is God's. The case, if the case, the case is that is too hard for you, bring to me, and I will hear it. Deuteronomy 5, 12-14 Observe the Sabbath day to keep it holy as Hashem your God commands you. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath of Hashem your God. In it you shall do no work. You, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your ox, nor your donkey, nor any ca- your cattle, nor your gear, 
who is within your gates, that your male servant and your female servant may rest as well as you. Deuteronomy 16, 10-15 You shall keep the Feast of Weeks to Hashem your God. Shabuot. With the, tra- with the tribute of a freewill offering from your land, which you give as Hashem your God blesses you, you shall rejoice before Hashem your God, you and your son and your daughter, your male servant, your female servant, and the Levite who, who is within your gates, the gear and the fatherless and the widow who are among you, and the place where Hashem your God chooses to make his name abide. And you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt, and, that you were, and you shall be careful to observe these statutes. You shall observe the Feast of Tabernacles seven days, when you have gathered from your threshing floor and from your winepress, and you shall rejoice in your feast, you and your son and your daughter and your male servant and your female servant and the Levite and the Ger and the fathers and the widow who are within your gates. Seven days you shall keep a sacred feast to Hashem your God in the place which Hashem chooses, because Hashem your God will bless you in all your produce and in all your works of your hand, that you shall surely rejoice. Deuteronomy 26, 9 through 11. He has brought us to this place and then given us this land, a land flowing with milk and honey. And now, behold, I have given you the first fruits of the land which you, O Hashem, you have given me. Then you shall eat it. Then you shall set it before Hashem your God and worship before Hashem your God. So you shall rejoice in every good thing which Hashem your God has given to you and your house and the Levite and the Ger who is among you. Deuteronomy 29, 10 through 15. All of you stand today before Hashem your God, your leaders and your tribes, your elders and your officers, all the men of Israel, your little ones and your wives, also the gear who is in your camp, from the one who cuts your wood to the one who draws your water, that you may enter into covenant with Hashem your God into his oath, which Hashem your God makes with you today, that he may establish you today as a people for himself, and that he may be God to you, just as he has spoken to you, just as he has sworn to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, I make this covenant and this oath, not with you alone, but with him who stands here with us today before Hashem your God, as well as him who is not here today. This oath, this covenant, was made not just with the native born, but the dear. And lastly, Deuteronomy 20, 31, 12 through 13. Gather the people together, men and women and little ones, and the gear who is within your gates, that they may hear and that they may learn to fear Hashem your God and to carefully observe all the words of this Torah. And that their children who have not known it may hear and learn to fear Hashem your God as long as you live in the land which you cross the Jordan to possess. The commandment is one. It's one. It's the Torah. It's one. And it's for one people, all of Israel, native-born, and gear. Beloved, we're not free to pick and choose which commandments are valid for us today. The heart of a follower of Messiah should read his commandments and respond as Samuel did. Speak, Lord, for your servant hears, your servant heeds, your servant will obey. Those that try to divide Hashem's Torah into what is applicable today or what applies to an individual based on their ethnic background, are mistaken. The Torah cannot be divided. It is indivisible. Psalms 1 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the path of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the Torah of Hashem. And in his Torah, he meditates day and night. He shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that brings forth its fruit in its season, whose leaf also shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind drives away. Therefore, the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For Hashem knows the ways of the righteous, but the ways of the ungodly shall perish. Which are you? One who fears Hashem and honors His commandments, the Torah. Are you one who wants to divide? To divide the commandments, to divide his people, 
Which one are you? Let's close in prayer. We thank you, Hashem, our God, that you have established our portion with those who dwell in the study hall, and you, not, you have not established our portion with idlers. For we arise early and they arise early. We arise early for the words of Torah. And they arise early for idle words. We toil and they toil. We toil and receive a reward. And they toil and do not receive a reward. We run and they run. We run to the life of the world to come. And they run to the pit of destruction. As it is written, And you, O God, you will lower them into the well of destruction. Men of bloodshed and deceit shall not live out half their days. But as for us, we will trust in you. Shalom.